Now, the, uh, in 78, you guys came at Three Miles High. That album, to me, showed a definite like leap forward in sophistication for the group. I thought that you know the songwriting was stronger, and I think it's one of the group's best albums, and I felt real growth with that one. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, yes, I, I do. With, with, with Three Miles High, that was, um, you know, I, I listened to the music on that, and, and you're absolutely right. A lot of it, a lot of it, uh, of the music that that made, came along with the evolution of our change was the fact of uh, when we went on the road. The road has started to influence us too, and uh, so when we went out on the road, it, it, what we were doing, we would get together, especially during a rehearsal, and that made us more brought us together more tighter as a group. Because you know, when you're out there on the road, you have there are there are no. Um, you know things that are, take your attention away from you. All this, you have no choice but to be right there with each other. So that's how we ended up. Like we were rehearsing and just just hanging with each other and pointing out this and pointing out that and become more or less uh, logistically involved and in, you know and on what's going to happen here with with the music. So yes, I I can you know especially I hear a couple of songs especially with Three Miles High. You know that in itself was a and another vocal. You know. Whew, uh, Charlie. Yeah. That record had uh, Sky High, which was a single, and also um, Just Want to Make a Dream, uh, dream Come True. Um, right. How'd you come up with that title, The Mass in F Minor? Was that another uh, working title? <laughs> yeah. That, no, no. That one was really, no, I'm thinking that, <laughs> see, now that was going back to like, Okay, we got to give homage, man. We are really, we are really uh, school musicians. We are really, that's where our home is, our base. So the fact of that, we are, we are going to do this, and Tyrone named that one. Tyrone named the Mask and F9. Uh, I, I just did it, and the next thing you know, it was there, and it was what you're going to be called, what we're going to call it. Tyrone said, Mask and F9. Because uh, what key is it in? He asked what key was it in. It was an F9. That's it. Mass enough matter. Next. <laughs> and that's how it happened. It's like a classical movement. Yeah, you know, it really was because uh uh we uh we didn't know we, we were just we just wanted to play and whatever anybody said in the studio, we were challenging each other. You know, we weren't doing anything like that. If somebody said it's kind of like in the military when they say, What's the name of this mission is gonna be? It's gonna be Operation. What up? We say, okay, let's go. That's the operation. What up? We go, you know? So that's how we were. That turned out to be one of the group's more successful hits. It got top 50 on the R&B chart. And, you know, I don't know whether it was conscious or not. I'm assuming not. I mean, when I bring up these influences, I'm assuming that it's just, you know, you can't help it. Everyone was sharing some ideas back then. But I hear a little Earth, Wind, and Fire flavor, especially in the, in the vocal on that one. Um. Because we um, we recognize the fact that, that if we were going to sing and if we were going to do this, we uh, we had a bar, you know, we had a benchmark that was set. We couldn't just say, okay, well, let's just sing and do it. It was a benchmark that was set by them and uh, and so forth that we we made ourselves that, okay, if this is how we're going, if, if if our thing is to be also a singing 
uh, group as also musicians, we have to polish it up just as you know, just as uh, uh, just as good as any other group that was doing it. And Earth, Wind, and Fire, like I said, has set that benchmark. So that's where we were really less um, reaching to go with this. Matter of fact, that's what Henry Allen always call us a, a well. After that, I believe after the album, he started calling us a well-polished group. He really did. And every time we saw him, that's what he did. He would say, well-polished group. Yeah. But okay. yeah, you know, marking, you know, we were, you know, we had no problems, you know, enjoying the fact of, hey, this is what it is. Let's do it. But let's do it right. I know it's also, Ricky, that the first two records were at Electric Ladyland Studios. This one was um, at um, Media Sound. So did that change of venue have an effect also? Wow, it's funny you should bring that up. When we first walked into Electric Lady, um, um, when we did Welcome to Our World, uh, you know, we got immediately, you walk in and you feel like a Jimi Hendrix thing, you know, and, and it was like so overpowering just to see that place because, you know, it's beautiful. And we walked in and we walked in that studio, A. Um, the thing of it is, is that we, I I enjoyed the two the two sessions we had at um, Electric Lady, which was Welcome to Our World and Believe. Uh, they they both the Electric Lady Studios had that need board had the need, uh, and I really loved the sound of the of the need board. And with that, uh, it was it was it was kind of easier for me to get into that thing because the board was just beautiful. You know how important the board is. When we went to Media Sound, the Media Sound, uh, they, they also had a need, I believe. But the thing of it is, is that the, the, the particular engineer we had, I believe his name was Doug, because I remember this Doug, we didn't get along at all. So, what was great? The room Doug was beautiful. Epstein. The sound of the room, huh? Doug Epstein. Yes. Doug Epstein. Yes. Doug and I were really not too 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 keen on each other. You know, we really weren't. And, um, it was all because of the fact that where we were going then. You know, and he had a big problem with me, a gigantic problem with me. Well, you fought so, through it and made a great record. Um, you know. uh, that was my um my my objection of mine was to that we had did electro lady and you go back to the producer thing you know i found out that um us being produced we used to supposed to be there a lot of things are going on and being produced and we weren't being produced and um and when Lecter, when we had did those two things, Electric Lady, even though the sound was, I love the sound of the room, I didn't like, I didn't like a lot of the initial engineering, not engineering, but the producing of, the, because the engineer is basically going to do what the producer telling them to do. But if the producer is not telling them what to do correctly, engineer is going to do what he's going to do. Uh, when we had gotten to a media sound, I said, this is not going to happen. I'm going to step in this. And uh, and I didn't want to, I, I, I don't care who toes I stepped on, I wanted this, I wanted this to happen. And Doug, 
in his infinite wisdom say, no, you shouldn't do it that way. Well, it's going to go this way today. <laughs> and that's that's what happened on a few miles out. Wow. I want to mention a couple of the other tracks on this record, uh, Ricky. Um, Scary Love is a real, like, in-your-face kind of track musically. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Groove Me, uh, with that prominent triangle, it's another funky track. I felt almost like it had a, it reminded me, or reminds me a little bit of BT Express with the triangle and the train kind of thing going on. Um, but I like those cuts a lot. And um, I Don't Want to Know is a real dreamy ballad. Any any comments about any of those other songs in that one? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, Scary Love was exactly, Scary Love was, um, was one of the last tracks that was that was added. I don't even think Scary Love was supposed to really go up there. But we had we had played the song we had played. That was written by Kevin. Because I you know I remember when Kevin wrote, we were talking to him about the song. And um it it was the last selection added to the LP. Um now you bring up the matter of the uh, the triangle back until we with us being High school musicians and musicians, we tried to bring every instrument in the world in our day in the marching band. We have tried to we could get in. That's what we tried to uh, bring into a recording. So uh if it like I said, things if it was more or less subliminal or, or we have we've heard it and we knew that it could work and we had and we know how to use it, let's put it in there. You know, that's our that's how some of these instruments in there. But yeah, that's how they went. Scary, scary Love, which we had which we had did it, it was became a, a what the heck song, but you know what? Let's go with it. Well, you know what? I loved when the triangle were, was used because it would really help uh, show off your, I think you mentioned earlier, hi-fi system, you know, back then. <laughs> yeah. You know. Check out those tweeters, man. Check out those tweeters. It, it, <laughs> if had to do that, we were going with it. The next record, um, in the purest form in '79, this set you guys in a whole new level because you had a smash hit, your biggest hit ever on it. The first track, Firecracker, got to number four. And I mean, that song was just, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. I don't know if I mentioned that before. But on the West Coast, I mean, it was huge. And I mean, it was played constantly. And it was just always, you know, the party starter. So um, I hear there's an interesting story behind that track. What is it? Oh, wow. The interesting story is that um, me or myself, I hadn't even written the track, but it was just always this young lady I used to see flying past our home in Teaneck. And she would go back and I just wanted to know who she was. You know, I, I didn't know didn't know her name, but she would just like, you know, wow, just amaze me. Uh, so when I wrote the song, that's why the song name is Speed, because I didn't know the young lady's name. But eventually I wrote it and it was about uh about the woman that would eventually end up being my wife, you know, because of the fact that I was so mesmerized by her. But yet. You know, I've been on the road, you know, you're on the road, you you, you meet uh, women and you get like, you don't get shy or anything. But with her, I was actually shy. I didn't know what to say, you know? 
And um, I wrote this song and I, um, I said, hey, you know, uh, not never knowing that I'll ever even meet her. And eventually got the nerve up to talk to her and say, hey, I, I did the song and say, sure, right, whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she ended up. So when did that happen in relation to when the song was actually recorded? Uh, the song was released. We wrote this. I wrote the song, and then the song was released. I think it wasn't until maybe a half, six months, or a year later. You know, because of the fact of that, uh, I had went on the road and I had made the most. We get we we got married, and that came, I believe, in seventy eight, eight, I believe, and we we got married in eighty nine. So you know, it uh. It took me a while to get there, but eventually, you know, like I said, she she would just end up being like someone that just knocked. She was a firecracker, and no doubt, still today, she's a firecracker. <laughs> she's a firecracker, yeah. But that's how that you know, that was the whole story. Very cool. How did you uh, come up with that rhythm, or how was the rhythm generated? You know, that formed the basis of that track. Scott, you going to get so you know through with me, but the thing of it is, is that. I was the section drum leader for nine, for I don't know how many years. And that uh, was one of the cadences that we would always use uh, in my high school band, you know, and the beat I had just had in me. Yeah, I, I, I made, made this cadence up, I think from in my sophomore year in high school, I made that drum beat up and it, it didn't come back to me until then. And when it came back to me, you know, uh, as I was playing with it on my drums, the bass part came up, and from that, the lyrics and the lyrics that really came, the the lyrics of the song came first because I thought about her. Then I thought, well, what am I gonna do with this? And then it became, you know, and and from that on, it became it became firecracker, and I just put it all together. And the guy said, "We going with it. Let's go." And, and, and the song, the song was done. And you did the vocal too, which to me has that, you know, funky thing kind of style that I trace back to like Sugar for the Ohio players and on through, you know, your Larry Blackmans and your Larry Dotsons and your um, Steve Arrington's, you know, it's got that great funk kind of thing to it. Thank you. Yeah. That, that flavor. Thank you very much. That, that you know, when I did it, nobody, when we did the song, none of us thought anything about it because simply because this was my tribute to her. It was really an inside, it was an inside song. None of us thought anything about it. I didn't think anything about it. The group didn't think anything about it, but I was gonna do the lyrics to the song because I was gonna sing this song to her. And so they said, okay, Rick, you, you know, you can do it, do the song, whatever, you know? And that's how I ended up singing it because really most of the songs really was led by Larry and uh and Agnes, but this one, this one was was mine. But it was my song to the point where we're gonna set it on this shelf because Ricky's crazy. Let it have this song. It's all right. And that's what happened, you know. I said, cool, that's all right. I'm happy to sing it. You obviously felt strong about it though, because it was the first track on the album. So um, 
were you surprised when it exploded like it did? And how did the band react to that? Oh, wow. We were all surprised. Matter of fact, we were so surprised. We got highly educated uh, about the whole music business when that song happened, because we didn't we didn't really didn't know uh, that the song had you know took off like it did until we were all one day we were about to go down and rehearsal, go down in, in, in our rehearsal studio. We were all in the kitchen eating a snack. And I remember very well we got a call from a DJ while we was all there. And he called us and uh, said, hey guys, we asked him, how you get how you know how you get out of the number? He said, man, I track you guys down because I need to know about this song. What's going on with the song? And we said, we thought he was talking about fired up. Because that was the first thing. We didn't know he was talking about firecracker. And uh, he said firecracker. He said the thing about it is that you know that your uh, record label is it stopped releasing your album. They warehoused your albums after that. And they, uh, they're not doing any more promotional on your album soon as that song came out. And, and that threw us for a loop. Because after that, not too long, another DJs kept calling us about the song. And we, we, we didn't have any uh, influence on what the record company was doing. But they were telling us all over the country that the record company was warehousing the album. And, and we said, wow, we, we didn't do it at the point. So Firecracker in itself became a song, really, of most other people of DJs and the people of the listeners without the record company. Wow. You know, I would have thought that it actually went to number one because that's how big it was that I recollect, uh, but it did get top five. And you mentioned Fired Up. That actually uh, was on there also. Can't You See Him Fired Up was on the uh, purest form as well. And that also charted the top 50. That actually was a single before Firecracker, right, or not? Before Firecracker? Yes, it did. You talking about Fired Up? Yeah. Yeah, it did. That's the, that is the one that we set up there at Atlantic Records and met about. That is the one that uh, we had all the conferences about. It was all about Fired Up. So it was never any talk or discussion or whatever about, not, not to any of us, about Firecracker. Like I said, Firecracker was an afterthought. Firecracker was, uh, it was an, a Ricky emotional uh, uh, you know, whatever. That's what Firecracker was. That, like I said, put that on the shelf. But it was all about Fired Up. We were incredibly surprised about Firecracker. So how did things change when you guys were doing your shows and you got to that song? Uh, it was like, you know, you know, we did everything else, but when Firecracker came, it was, you know, it, we really didn't have to do anything else. Matter of fact, I think we could adjust when I did Firecracker went home, you know? But uh, it, it, it changed greatly. It changed greatly uh, as far as like, you know, I mean, when something like that happens, it it, um, it, uh, it easily picks, you know, people ready to pick you up for tours. It became a, 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 a gig, you know, gigs came in, became uh, more often, but it still went on the fact that we got, no support from our label, you know, and uh, it was all what our work that what we were at initially doing out there that was making this happen. And it was all on DJs. Like I would say, you said that you was a DJ. So if you were you, you were DJs, 
in that in the era, it was it was you. You were the guys that made Firecracker happen. It wasn't a label. And with, with that's 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 where we be, became the fact that DJs were our best friends at that point. Because um and the power of DJs, you know, it, we always knew they were powerful, but then right there it, it bucked the system because we did not understand the warehousing thing. And when they start telling us that the world changed, uh, like I said, gigs poured in more often. Uh, our status, you know, it, it became, you know, elevated. It, it, it turned things around for us. How'd you come up with the, uh, and produce the sound effects in the beginning of that song? Uh, we hunted them down. Doug, that was done immediate sound. I believe that was Doug because Doug and I, we fought about that. We fought about the fact that of, of putting those in front. I wanted those firecrackers in there. And again, that was another point with Doug and I, Doug at uh, Epstein, I believe, and we fought on it. I mean, we, we fought horribly about firecrackers. Everybody left me alone about firecracker, really. They left me onto my own devices about this song because, like, it was a a Ricky, Ricky emotional, you know, whatever, but I wanted the firecrackers. I wanted the drums to sound like this, like marching band drums. This is what I want. And uh, I even heard the remark, well, Rick, you know, drums are not everything, you know? It's gonna be everything for this song, <laughs> you know? And uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, the, the firecrackers came in. He went, he eventually went and got the sound effects. I don't know where he got them from, but he, he put them in there. Because he didn't want to hear anything more from me, because I, uh, you know, I just wanted. Well, I hope you have your your drums handy for a rim shot, because I was going to say it sounds like you had some explosive relationships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it was it was very, it was incredibly explosive. To um, a, a manager had to pull me to the side and say, you know, you you got to be a little bit more, and I said, no, I'm not, <laughs> because this song. And the song, a couple other songs out there, they were very important to me. And I wanted this sound to go just this particular way. That, that's, that's what I want. Well, I also got to point out uh, my own personal second favorite track on that record, which was Eyeballing. Um, that one really <laughs> rocks and cooks also. Can you okay. add, any, add anything interesting about that one? Right. You know, you know Eyeballing was another song Eyeballing was another song that was supposed to have been, was the last song picked for the going album. Um, we eventually go, because of the fact that, that Rick was doing a, a, a lot of writing. And, and the, the thing of it is, I had written a lot of songs, but I just felt like, you know, like, okay, you know, I can take some of my songs and I can move them around. So with that said, with me pulling out some of my songs, the way, you know, to get the guys some more because they're writers too. That's when we eventually SI eyeballing ended up being on the album. I, that thought, was, uh, I thought that should have been considered as a single also. Um eyeballing was one of you know we got a lot of requests for eyeballing. We got some too for uh, uh fired up too and they became in equally but it, the the strange thing about it is that after Firecracker, the uh, they eventually did uh, pull the album off 
off the shelf. And and I think I was told somewhere they were liquidating or something. It was like no more. And years later, we found out what was that. Well, real with the whole thing of why they did that. We didn't know it at the time what was going on, but we did eventually found out what happened. So the reason that no other singles came after that, why they didn't do it, it, it had turned into politics. We were very surprised. We thought our volume was going to be pulled too. I think when we got in, we started jamming with it, we felt very strongly about our volume. The next record was uh, Masterpiece, which uh, was a clever play on the word mass and the spelling. Yeah. And uh, that album, to me, was a more mature and more soul-oriented than what had come before. What was transpiring with you guys then? Um, we were, uh, at, that, at that time, I, I would say coming off the road, I can think about going going into the studio on each album when we were rehearsing. The road has sort of like um, evolved us. Each went on the road, it kind of like evolved us. We we would go out. We would we would see some things happening. We would start writing, and you know when you're sitting on that bus and that airplane, you know it gives you time to really dig in, and so. That's where a lot of it came in. When we came back, uh, again, Lee Cord named it Masterpiece. And uh, we um, sort of less wanted to dig in more or less being musicians because of the fact that we did not want to lose ourselves from being musicians. We had felt at this point they weren't going to give us what we, the support they needed. We needed in order for the go to the next level. So we might as well just continue on being that something to just try to evolve ourselves musically, you know, and that's how Masterpiece became uh, 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 one of the uh, it albums that it was. It was especially unusual that it starts off with a slow track in Angel, uh, or a mellow, a mellow song. Um, and um, you did have two singles on there that charted Forever, which is kind of a fast, poppy, soul kind of song. Right. And um, Shantae, which is a really nice funky instrumental with great keyboards. Um, what do you remember about yeah. those songs? Yes, I remember very well. Um, uh, Shantae. Shantae was uh, our, Tyrone had loved to play, he loved to play vibes. And he wanted, going back to school, he wanted the reason to play vibes. You know, no matter what we said, the next he said the next song we, we, that we recorded, the instrument he was going to play vibes. So that's what he did. You know, we went to pull the vibes out, and Shantae was born. That that song was named after his daughter, uh, Angel, which Gregory wrote. Gregory and Otis wrote that's that song was written about Gregory's wife. You know, Angel. When before he had first saw her, that's what he looked at. He ended up writing Angel. You know, and. Um, so that's how all the songs that kind of like evolved from that. We were more or, less, more or less like we just wanted to expand ourselves. But remembering that we remember like getting those vibes. We looked all around, even trying to pick out the right kind of vibes that he wanted to play. And that's what the thing with Shantae. You got his Roy Ayers on on that one. Yeah, yes. Did we? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, my, like I said, we always went back, no matter what. It always ended up back at school. 
funny, you know, it was like in the ether back then because it was a year or two before I know the Ohio Players Angel album came out and they started that song with a mellow song called Angel also. Um, and then I was thinking about eyeballing and I think Heatwave around close to that time had a song called eyeballing. So it's just funny how these threads are in the, um, you know, ether back then. Um, Nature Lover. To me, that was sort of like a firecracker follow-up. Was that the intent? Uh, yeah, Nature Lover. Um, I, Nature Lover, when I wrote Na Nature Lover, that was, that was something that just came out of nowhere. I can give you a great story behind Nature Lover. Nature Lover was a song that, that I, I, I wrote. Um, it was just something that uh, I was experiencing it at the moment. I wrote the lyrics, I did the music, and it, and it just, you know, it just came out. We were very fortunate. For some reason, they let us do the music that we were doing, but that was a song. That's what I felt. I never looked at, looked at it as a, a, a firecracker follow-up. Okay, I tell you this. They wanted me to sing again. I did not want to sing again. I did not want to sing again. And they wanted me to do something where I, I sung again. And that's where Nature Lover, Lover came from. Okay, you want me to do it again? Here we go. Well, you know, I got to tell you, I'm a little surprised that one too. I think it might have had legs as a single, you know? It, well, I, well it, it, think of you and it's, it's nice to think of it at, at, uh, uh, as of that. But, you know, like I said, at that moment, uh, due to politics, it was all on us. If we couldn't get it out as a single, it wasn't going, you know, uh, because of the fact of that things that were ha happening behind the scenes, things like publishing, you know, publishing became a very serious issue at that point with them and they wanted it. And our publisher was not giving it to them. So at that moment, it was became like, well, if, if we're not getting parts of the publishing, then we're not going to, we'll, we'll show you what kind of power we have. And they demonstrated it well. Were you kind of starting to feel a little disillusioned about the whole music industry at that point? I mean, you came into it, you know, with such um, vigor and such enthusiasm. And it was, you know, we talked about we only made $80 at that one gig, but it didn't matter. Um, did you feel like the industry was kind of, you know, taking the luster off of it at that point? Uh, not, not at that point, really honest with you, because of the fact that, that we were still playing and we still hadn't gotten the, uh, word. we didn't really get to find out what was going on until, uh, our last album. But, um, at that point, no, we were still, we were doing the music and, you know, it, it does, it did kind of hurt, uh, with the fact that, that we had, you know, we were doing these songs and it kind of made like, okay, but well, we weren't doing the best that we could do because of the fact that why aren't they no one's playing on the radio why are we aren't getting in you know in the kind of response from anything where it was pointed out to you nobody can respond to you or, or talk to you about your music if they're not hearing it, you know and i said okay so with that said we just went on and just kept going on you know at least by myself i don't you know i can't speak on much for the other guys on that but for myself, I was just, um, I was playing and, and to me, it was always a tomorrow. 
It was always tomorrow. It may not be happening today, but let's see what I can do tomorrow. Well, the next tomorrow for the group in 81 was Turn Up the Music, which to me was more of a return to funk, you know, whereas there was a little bit of di diversion into more soul. You guys came back hard with the funk on Turn Up the Music, but also there was a change in the sound. And part of what was going on at the time, the early 80s, you guys incorporated more synthesizer, I would say, and kind of seemed to like track it with the horns in places. So, um, you know, Turn Up the Music, the title track was a really cool uh, dance jam. What uh, what went into making that record, Ricky? Uh, turn Up the Music, right. Um, we had, uh, we were at Atlantic and in in um in, in New York, there's a there's a instrument rental company called SIR. Now SIR, there were a couple of representatives. These guys were at studio, and literally there was another uh, uh, studio instrument rental uh, company that were <laughs> just trying to sell us to rent these synthesizers, rent these synthesizers, rent these. I remember where it was the profit. And the uh, 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 another Korg synthesizer, I'm trying to think of it, but it was Prophet 5, which is very popular. And we said, okay, so we rented this, we rented these synthesizers, and that's where a lot of the sound of that that became because of the fact of that um, they wanted like it's going to be the greatest. And that also at that time, uh, I believe that Prince had been out doing. Prince was doing a lot of things with Prophet 5, and um, so when it came, it was easy to sell, but there they were in the lobby, moving to the studio. There they were sitting in these things, and they were they brought brought them over in the truckload. I mean, all kind of cogs and everything. Cog wasn't as popular then, so that's how we ended up getting a lot of the synthesizers for labor. So these uh, uh these guys that say, "Hey man, this is the this is the thing of what's happening, and this is what's going on. You need to you know." So we played with it. And we liked it, to be honest, which we liked it. It was cool, you know, so that's where that went. Yeah, you mentioned Prince, you know, especially on um, a track like uh, Clinch Quencher, which is right. uh, funky. You know, I hear like the same kind of thing at the time that not only Prince, but like Cameo and the Barcades were doing with the synthesizers. Right, yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's where the thing of it is, okay, well, you know, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. And the salesmen, they were like, you know, you guys, you know, we said, okay, well, look, you don't have to sell us to our It seemed to be popular and you're pushing it. Let's give it a try. So that's how the evolution of us getting into it, doing a lot of the synthesizer, that particular album. It seemed like also on that record, there was less of the falsetto vocals, um, was another different element to me on that record. Uh, I don't know if that was. An intentional thing but um, besides turn up the music I really like Bob uh, really catchy bouncy instrumental um, right, okay. saucy was another kind of firecracker type track right okay yeah uh, you know um, no they just I was being pushed a lot you know and which I didn't mind. I did not want to I, I just didn't want to do it but uh the 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 uh when we when we came together as a group and the guy said let's do something 
it wasn't more or less like, oh man, I would argue about it. You want me to do it? Okay, I'll do it. I'm not happy about it, but okay, let's go, you know, and do it. And I just put my best into doing it, you know. Bop was a Tyrone's, again, he loved naming naming the songs after relatives. That's one of my nieces. And um, that song right there, again, an influence going to uh to uh him back to playing in the jazz band in, in college. And and he just we couldn't get away from that. <laughs> it was just in our, it was in our day. Did you feel like, you know, you're talking about not getting support. Did you feel like a track like Turn Up the Music, which was, you know, had a really good, like, kind of percolating funk groove to it, that it should have been a bigger hit than it was? Uh, yes. Yes. At that moment, at, still at that point, when the albums came out, we, we didn't realize what was happening behind the scenes. You know, we were more or less like we were just musicians trying to do our thing musically. And um, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of like, it was disappointing, especially when we went out on the road. Because at that point, we was also getting educated to the fact that, that radio play is essential. When you don't have radio play, you can't get of a, 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 a big of a venue of, of places to play. So it was starting to like come back on us on the fact of like, okay, what's going on here? We don't understand, you know, we wouldn't understand what was happening. And um, so, yeah, it did start to like, you know, uh, uh, make us wonder what was going on at that point. And it was, it was basically a couple of the songs that went down like that started made us, you know, go scratch our heads. Kind of a departure too for you guys was um, another single that I can't believe you're going away, which was kind of a real Motown throwback kind of vibe. Which one? Uh, I can't believe you're going away was kind of a Motown. Wow. Uh, oh. Um, I now I remember that that one was an intentional right. I wrote that one. I remember writing it. To be honest with you, I can remember sitting in the dark writing that song. That was a, that was a, I was just happy about doing it. The the um, the rhythm came to me. I could not shake that rhythm. Don't 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 don't. And it kept going over in my head, in my head. And when I told Liko about it, and we finally put it together, everybody said, "Okay, that's it," because it was different than what we was you know doing. And it was a song. We were. We were playing. It wasn't like we were trying to like meet at that at that point. We weren't trying to meet anybody's, you know. Okay, you know, they uh, uh, they they're, they're giving the uh, go mark. We was like writing for ourselves, and that particular song was a personal song for me. It was it didn't the lyrics anything didn't mean anything to me personally. I wrote the lyrics because of the fact that I felt that it went with the song, but the music. The music itself was uh, important to me. In the City Groove came next in 82. And um, this record was mellower, I would say, more R&B flavored than what you guys have been doing. And also some interesting experiments on it. You had, um, this is, you had like a new wave kind of uh, track in Weird. And um, I think it was the next one where you had a reggae, yeah, it was the next one. 
But you guys seem to be doing yeah. more experimentation, and it was a little more uh, laid back, if you will. Uh, uh, yeah, because of the fact that that became of those those songs right there were songs that were composed again. Um, they just wanted to do something uh, when you, you you talk about time bomb. Uh, my my brother and Larry, uh, when they wrote that song, they were really thinking about what was going on at the time. So that was a, a sign of the time song. And we were more or less like just then, just just writing and and a lot of other things that was going on in the uh, uh, a background uh, as far as like a man, you know, what we was doing, you know, real life had taken over and we were, <laughs> they were puffing a lot of weed, man. <laughs> we just stepped into it, you know, and at that point we was like, oh, hey, okay, we mm -hmm. in the studio, you know, it's like, all right. And uh, now in one session, we have some guy pushing synthesizers on it. Now the next one, it was like, oh, oh, where's it coming from? You know, we're in New York. It was like, guess from everywhere. Everybody had a bag, you know. Everybody had sharing it, what was in the bag. So that's where a lot of the, um, the uh, some of those songs came from. But like I said, most of it came from like musicians that just at that point, it didn't seem like, you know, um, we were just, just giving a free hand to write what we wanted to write. So let's go with it. And 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 I wanted to the guys, the guys had a lot of songs that was inside of them too. They had a lot of songs inside of them. So let's put them on the assembly line and push them out. I felt like again, whether it's intentional or not, but I felt like there was some maybe through um osmosis. Uh, influence of slave on this one um like on a song like inner city you know it's uh reminding me a little bit of, of some of the slave kind of stuff and my favorite track on the record probably being a funk enthusiast like i am was rock wow again you know another song that was last that was that was put on the song album last it's strange, like some of the songs that you that you that you're mentioning were songs that were at the last at the moment the group decided to put on simply because of the fact, you know, they were we listened to them and say those are good songs. We want them on the album. So we took some things off the, you know, that song on. But rock was also a song that was that was intended. We recorded it because we recorded a lot of music, but it wasn't intentional at first to be on the album. It wasn't intended to be on the album. Well, I'm glad they made it. I mean, if I, if I had been there, I would have been like, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> but see, we needed more. That's what we needed at the time. We needed more uh, DJ influence other than executive influence because that's what, you know, it was, was more or less like dictating in our, in our ear, that little voice in the ear talking, you know, and say, okay, leave the suits over there. But the suits were like chattering. But we needed you. We needed the DJs. Needed that voice, Scott. <laughs> um, you know, I mentioned weird, which is like this new wave funk thing. That was another thing that was kind of in the air then, you know, with like Super Freak and Alligator Woman and Whammy by One Way and Freaky Behavior by the Barquets. You guys had yours with weird. Uh, you know, weird was a joke. 
But what I mean by that, we, we were doing weird, we were playing the song weird, but the thing about it is that it started off as we when we were rehearsing, you know, you're doing something, Kevin brought it up and we doing it and say, you're so weird, baby, you're so weird. You know, it was, a, we were talking about a lot of the, the women that were around us, especially on the road, it, it, it initially it started out being a joke. And, uh, and then, we, you know, when you play something more and more, and he, you know, he formulated and he got it together and said, wow, okay, that's album ready. <laughs> now, at this point, you had turned drums over to Sam, or what was happening there? Huh? I said, at this point, had you turned the drums over to Sam? Oh, uh, well, I didn't turn it over to him because of the fact that at, on February 14th, uh, we were going into the, at that, what happened in 81, I was in a car accident that I ended up being in the hospital for like 24 days. Wow. And my arm, my foot, everything a drummer needs in order for her to play drums got shattered and messed up. And uh, that's where, uh, uh, that's what happened. And, and, uh, and when my brother, I knew my brother had played drums and we wanted to keep it in the family. So, uh, my mother called and said, that guy is driving me crazy. <laughs> so my, my brother and I, we made a decision. Don't worry about it. We got a place for him. So we pulled him up from Virginia like we did everybody else. The next thing you know, he ended up on the road with us. And how long did it take you to fully recover? Um, that went, it, it was about, I think, a year and a half. But I, Got myself together. Like I said, it was it, sh it shattered my 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 forearm, uh, my pelvis cracked, my pelvis, my uh, my shoulder, my foot, it, like a lot of things. My right leg, it was it was pretty bad. Wow. I'd had two surgeries on my arm, so I wasn't in any position at that moment to play drums. And the whole thing about it is the guy known as Rick with the drumsticks kind of like moved the drumsticks. No, they kind of like fell out in their hands, you know. That must have been hard to deal with. Yeah, and then, but, you know, I, I said, okay, but they pushed me on this, you know, next thing I know, I found myself in front of a microphone and, hey. <laughs> One other track I want to mention on that record, because I thought it was really well done, was Solid Love. Um, it was kind of a different thing, kind of soulful pop for mass production, but you guys did a good job on it. Uh, uh, wow, you know, being in, in the city was a uh, was a whole trip for us. We, we when we were recording in the city, um, uh, we had Jingus who had did the strings for us. It was very important, you know, as far as like and helping us getting this, those songs together. We we didn't do the vocals. The vocals at that point was done by a gentleman by the name of Dean Williams. And uh, the reason he had uh, Dean had ended up doing the vocals was because of the fact that number one, I was still in the uh, transition of going through what I was going through, and they had, and and the record company had then was trying to find their way to write, sort of let's take over the uh, our music. So he came in. And Jingus, who we love very much, we were very good friends, friends with Jingus. He was supposed to have written more songs. 
he came in. So that that was sort of like their way of wedging their way into getting uh, uh, more or less control of the group because our contract was coming up soon. Right. So now it's kind of now to try to find up sort of like a, hey, a logistical mover, getting in here, getting this group before, you know, and that's what happened with uh, Inner City. So we, 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 uh, we did things uh, on that particular album. I don't know if you know, but we uh, brought up Norfolk State, uh, Norfolk State University's uh, concert band for that, for a couple of those songs, you know? Um, and they, play, they performed on it. So we tried to maintain some kind of control over it, but it was, you know, uh, life was about to like, you know, show us who was really the boss in this thing. 